you are not responsible to discover God's sovereign, eternal, secret will. He's not going to tell you. We are responsible instead to make wise plans that reflect God's word and then to trust him with our plans and with our future. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is there a connection between the responsibility of wisely living out your life and God's sovereign and perfect will? How do you make the big decisions in your life? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 16 of his series titled simply Ruth. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament has been called one of the greatest love stories ever written. That truth has been reflected throughout our study of this remarkable book. But the real love story in the book of Ruth is not the love between Boaz and Ruth. It is instead the love of God for his people. Ultimately, the story of Ruth is a story of God providing a kinsman redeemer, not merely for Naomi and Ruth, but for all those who would ever come to repent and believe in God through the ultimate kinsman redeemer. What is a kinsman redeemer? And who is this promised one? Let's join our teacher to find out here on The Word Unleashed. Boaz recognizes that her choice of him is based far more on her hesed, on her steadfast love for the people in her life and for her God. When she asked him to marry her because he was the goel, Boaz understands that her motive is steadfast love. First and foremost, to God and what he had prescribed. And secondly, to Naomi because of her love for her. He praises her, pronounces a blessing on her. The second part of his response is he accepts. He accepts her proposal of marriage in verse 11. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Notice, first of all, he comforts her. One of the most common statements in Scripture to administer comfort, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Certainly, if you were Ruth at this point, you would have cause for fear. He says, don't be afraid. He then accepts her proposal directly. I will do for you whatever you ask. He, he knows what she's asked. He then explains why, why he would consider such a seemingly inappropriate proposal. It was because of Ruth's character. All my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. In less than three months' time, all of those in Bethlehem had come to see Ruth as a woman of noble character. This is how the author, by the way, had described Boaz back in chapter 2, verse 1. Boaz was a man of, literally, a, a mighty man, a valiant man, a man of nobility, a man of excellence. The same word is used to describe the wife of excellence in Proverbs 31. You know, 
if I could encourage those of you who are not married, who are considering marriage, here's a really good reason to pursue a relationship with someone, not because of their appearance, not because of romantic notions often misguided of love, but because of their character. Do you respect that person? Can you follow their spiritual leadership? Daniel Block writes of this response to Boaz to Ruth. Boaz could have treated her as Moabite trash, scavenging in the garbage cans of Israel. But with true hesed, true steadfast love of his own, he sees her as a woman equal in status and character to himself. You are a woman of noble character. Next, Boaz reveals a serious problem with her plan. Verse 12. I'm sure Boaz's response to this point must have filled her with joy. But what he says next, I'm sure made her heart skip a beat. Verse 12. Now, it is true. I am a redeemer. I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. It's true. He is a Goel, but, and this is absolutely huge, there is another relative who is closer to her. That means he would have had the first responsibility. It was his to decide. Still, in spite of this serious problem with her plan, the fourth part of his response in verses 13 to 15 is, is to reassure Ruth about her future. Look at verse 13. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. By the way, remain this night has absolutely no sexual overtones. In fact, it's the same expression The same word Ruth used in chapter 1, verse 16, of remaining with her mother-in-law. Now, if you read his response at a surface level, maybe some of you ladies read that and and it sounds kind of cold. It's like, well, he wants to marry you, great. If he doesn't, I'll take you. That's not the idea at all. You can see that Boaz really wants to marry Ruth himself in three ways. First of all, his acceptance of her her offer, her proposal in verse 11. He's already accepted the offer. Secondly, his reassurance in verse 13 that he will redeem her if he has the chance to do so. And thirdly, you see how how much this is his desire by his swearing the greatest oath that was available to the Jews. I will redeem you as Yahweh lives. You see his heart. You see his desire to do this. As truly and surely as our God is the one true and living God, I will marry you if I'm able to do so. Now, verses 14 and 15 describe what transpired then between that midnight conversation and the next day. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, 
Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Although their conversation happened at midnight, I can promise you that it's highly unlikely that either of them got much sleep the rest of the night. Because surely in their own minds, they're thinking about the ramifications of their discussion at midnight. They're thinking about what this will mean. Undoubtedly, Ruth is apprehensive about this other man in the picture, this other kinsman redeemer, and what that might mean for her future. Maybe it's even someone she doesn't know. I'm sure a lot of prayers went up that night from both Ruth and from Boaz. Because of his concern for Ruth's reputation and for his own reputation, along with the the necessary part of keeping their plan a secret, Boaz insisted that she stay there during the night, that would have been safer, and then that she leave before daylight when she could be recognized. This would protect his reputation, her reputation, and their plan. The narrator tells us what Boaz had been thinking there in verse 14. Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's not likely saying that to someone else. Apparently, no one else was privy to this visit and this conversation. Instead, this is his own thinking. Verse 15, again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. He sends her back to Naomi with six. Notice the word measures is in italics. In Hebrew, all it says is with six of barley. Doesn't tell us the unit of measure. Possible choices are six small scoops, six omers, which was a measurement in Hebrew that would, six of them would be equal to 18 to 30 pounds, somewhere in that range of barley. Or six sias, which would have been somewhere between 60 and 100 pounds. We don't know, but clearly he was a generous man. Now, we learn what Boaz was thinking with this gift down in chapter 3, verse 17. Notice his thinking. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. He's such a generous, kind-hearted man that he just couldn't consider sending her back to Naomi empty-handed. Now, you'll notice the end of verse 15 in our New American Standard says, then she went into the city. You'll see the marginal note. In many manuscripts, verse 15 ends, she went into the city. But the Hebrew of verse 15 ends, and he went into the city. If that's correct, the narrator wants us to sense just how eager Boaz was to resolve Ruth's request, to get this thing done. The author of this fascinating little Old Testament book wants us to see that Naomi and Ruth not only followed a biblical plan, one that was laid down in the Old Testament law, but they married that biblical plan and used biblical wisdom to create a strategy that reflected their own cultural circumstances. I wouldn't suggest that you follow chapter 3 the next time you want to pursue a relationship. 
But in their culture, they were marrying what the Scripture clearly commanded with a wise plan that reflected their cultural situation. In the same way, we must not only follow Scripture as we make our plans, but we must also seek to follow strategies and processes that are wise in our own circumstances. How do you gain that kind of wisdom? The wisdom to take what the Scripture clearly teaches and apply it to making practical decisions in everyday life? James chapter 1, verse 5 explains... If you find yourself in the midst of the troubles and the trials and the difficulties of life and you lack wisdom, that's the context of this statement. You're in the midst of the trials and troubles of this life. You have decisions that need to be made. You're trying to figure out what to do next. The scripture speaks somewhat to your situation, but you've got to create a plan. What do you do? James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom in that circumstance, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in their trouble, in their difficulty, they followed a biblical plan, and they followed a wise application of that biblical plan to their own cultural situation. And then they committed their plans to the Lord in... An unwavering trust. An unwavering trust. We see this in verses 16 to 18. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law back in the city, she said, the mother-in-law said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. Can you imagine Naomi sleeping in her bed in the city of Bethlehem that night? I, I doubt she got much sleep either. She wanted to know how the plan had gone. Notice the marginal note in verse 16 says that literally Naomi asked, who are you? doesn't mean she didn't recognize Ruth. It means, in what condition are you? So the idea is, how did it go? And that's why it's translated the way it is. So Ruth gives a complete report of the last 12 hours since she saw Naomi. Verse 17 She said, in addition, these six measures of barley he he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. By the way, why specifically, in addition to his generosity, would Boaz have given this to Naomi? There are several possible reasons. One is he he felt a sense of obligation as her goel. He knew she didn't have anything. He knew she was poor, having to sell the land that she owned. She was land rich at that point, needed to get rid of the land, but she had no money. She had no food. They were living off what Ruth harvested and what Boaz had given her. So he felt his responsibility to the family as the goel. It's also possible that there's a sense of gratitude. He knows this is all coming together because of Naomi's suggestion, Naomi's plan. Another possibility is that it was a sign of good faith in his promise to marry Ruth. It's even possible this was a kind of down payment on the bride price. The bride price was typically paid to the legal guardian, in this case, Naomi, at the time of the betrothal. There may have been the promise of marriage in this. Verse 18, here's Naomi's response. 
She said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, literally how the matter falls out. Same expression is used of the lot falling in the lap. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Notice Naomi rested and she urged Ruth to rest in two things. In Boaz's integrity, he's the kind of man who's going to act on what he told you. He's going to do what he said. He's not going to let any time pass until he does what's his duty. But she wasn't merely trusting in Boaz's integrity. She was trusting in God's providence. She's learned this lesson. She has followed what the scriptures taught, and she's waiting to see how God acts. This is how we're to respond as well. So, what are the lessons here in this third chapter, the implications for us in this passage? Let me give you some things to think about. First of all, we must think about discovering God's will biblically. How do you make those decisions that Scripture doesn't directly address? Well, what's remarkable is in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we have an outline form of the process for making biblical decisions about the specific issues of our lives. First of all, begin with biblical desires and aspirations. You see that in verse 1. I want to seek security for you that it may be well with you. Secondly, follow any biblical directions that are available. There was a clear biblical direction about the course they should take. Thirdly, verses 3 and 4 use wisdom to create specific plans to carry out, to arrive at that biblical destination. Number four, consider and follow wise counsel. Ruth listened to the counsel of her mother-in-law. And number five, entrust yourself and your plans to God's providence. In other words, Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see, God holds us responsible to pray for wisdom, to apply his word to our problem, to seek counsel, to make wise plans, and then to make a decision and act. And don't wait for God to put some feeling in the pit of your stomach. Don't wait to feel something. Make a decision and act and entrust your plans to him. So pursuing God's will for the details of your life is actually pretty simple. We're not responsible. You are not responsible to discover God's sovereign, eternal, secret will. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to write it in the sky. He's not going to send you a letter. He's not going to give you code in the Bible. He's not going to give you any indication of his secret sovereign will at all. We are responsible instead to make wise plans that reflect God's word and then to trust him with our plans and with our future. There's another implication for us in this text, and that is that God orders his amazing providence to care for those who seek refuge in him. Again, we see in this little book God's providence weaving the moments of our lives together to accomplish the plans of his heart for us. Often he does so 
as we seek to follow the prescriptions of Scripture, carried out with wise plans. I mean, just think about how God used Ruth and Naomi's obedience to his word, executed in wisdom, in just a few short weeks in Ruth's life, to care for Naomi, to care for Ruth, to meet the needs of Boaz, and ultimately to show mercy and grace to the dead Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, whose names would be preserved in Israel. And he even provided a future king, David, for his people. God is amazingly good. Number three, God must grant success. By the way, before I leave number two, let me just make that very personal. He does the same thing in your life. He's doing the same thing in your life. This is the story of Ruth. It's a story of providence. It's a story of seemingly insignificant days and insignificant events that God weaves together to accomplish his perfect plans in a human life, in a number of human lives, in redemptive history. And he's doing the same thing in yours. Number three, God must grant success to our plans even those founded upon his word. In other words, having plans is not enough. Again, Daniel Block writes, from a natural perspective, this scheme was doomed from the beginning as a hopeless gamble. I mean, think about it. Everything about Ruth's proposal to Boaz made his responding positively virtually impossible. She was a woman proposing to a man in that culture. She was significantly younger, proposing to someone who was old enough to be her father. She was a worker in the field, proposing to someone who owned the field. She was a foreigner, a Moabite, proposing to one of the blue-blooded aristocrats in Bethlehem. Only God could make this plan work. And the same is true for us. All of our wise plans will fail if our confidence is in our plans or in ourselves. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That has to be your confidence. But by far the most important lesson in this text is none of those. The most important lesson in this text is this. God will stop at nothing to provide a kinsman redeemer for all on whom he has set his love. That's the real lesson. You see, the real love story in the book of Ruth is not that between Boaz and Ruth. It is instead the love of the eternal God for his people. Ultimately, this story, as we will see as chapter 4 unfolds, is a story of how God was providing a kinsman redeemer not for Naomi and Ruth, but for us. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, our Lord, he would be a descendant of the marriage between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth is listed in the genealogies of the New Testament. 
This was part of God's eternal plan of redemption, that these two seemingly insignificant lives would come together. But he did it. He arranged it all because of his love for you, Christian, and for me. This story of Ruth is much bigger than a human love story. It is a divine love story as God had set his love upon us in eternity past and he would leave absolutely no stone unturned to accomplish our redemption. And he acted in remarkable ways. He would see it done for us no matter how hard, no matter how unlikely. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 16 of Ruth. Join us next time for part 17. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.